I'm Mike Green, uh, speaking with Don Sari, who is uh, at the University of California, Irvine. He's a distinguished professor of mathematics and uh, economics and director of the Institute for Mathematical Behavioral Sciences. And, and we're talking about mathematics and voting. A lot of people, on the face of it, they think, oh, yeah, there's some math because you have to count the votes, but they you know, maybe take a poll or something like that, but they wouldn't maybe know about the kind of uh, math and voting you research, Don. Well, actually, the math and voting uh, is not, has nothing to do with the tallying of ballots. Really, it has to do with the whether or not the election outcome reflects the views of the voters. Now, that sounds like a strange statement, but the fact is, is that, as we can prove with mathematics, different election outcomes or different election voting rules give you very, very different outcomes. Uh, we can use, we can prove, we can take any of your two favorite voting rules, and uh, we can create examples showing that different people will win. Nobody, the voters don't change their minds. We just change the voting rule, how we tally the ballots, and we get different outcomes. Now that should raise a concern. Are we using the correct rule or not? And that's what mathematics does. Mathemat mathematicians use the muscle power of mathematics to try to analyze which voting rules will be more likely to give the correct outcome to reflect what the voters really want. And, and the standard one that's used in most American, or almost all American elections, is what it's called the plurality voting, where the, you might say the, the person that has the most votes, not necessarily a majority, uh, is the winner. And, and that probably isn't your, your favorite method. Well, it, it's widely accepted among voting theorists that that's probably the worst method anyone could ever use. Uh, surprising, isn't it? But what happens is you're, it's not the most. All we're doing is counting the number of people who have a candidate top ranked. Listen. We're in the midst of election season, and the question is, uh, you, you hear politicians saying, so-and-so is uh, coming into the race, or so-and-so uh, is in the race, then what happens? They'll split the vote. Well, what that means is that a lot of the voters who have a candidate first rank or second rank, their second rank candidate, their second rank preferences are not being considered. Let me give you an analogy. The analogy would be, suppose that your local school system Tomorrow morning, they decide to rank students only by the number of A's they receive. Sounds good. Hey, come on, we're you know rewarding excellence. But in fact, what we may be doing is uh, we're creating a system where a student that has one A and the rest S is ranked above the student that has great B's. So in our grading system, we recognize the importance of taking into account your second rank B's, your third rank C's. But the plurality voting is just like that. Let's just count the A's. And so all of the flaws you, we can see in that high school ranking system apply to plurality voting system. It's easy to find in any election season examples where the outcome is questionable. Questionable not because of any monkey business or anything else, but questionable because you're using the let's just count the A's method. And so, when analyzing these different uh, voting methods and maybe you know trying to figure out consequences of them, what kind of mathematics is involved? Well, this is actually this this topic has been around since uh, for mathematicians for 200 years, but it's a highly complex issue. I mean, uh, with uh, Four candidates, for example, just four, were already running into one and a half 
billion different possibilities, and so therefore usual methods won't work. We use combinatoric type methods. We use uh, even some ideas coming from chaotic dynamics to try to understand how chaotic uh, the election situation can be. Uh, we use algebraic structures. Uh, you know, you take a look at a triangle, see, you flip it, and then you get the same triangle. Well, these are algebraic structures, symmetry structures. We use those. We use anything and everything we can get to get an answer. In other words, we're like mathematical detectives. We're, <laughs> we're after it. And so in the detective work, uh, is there a best voting method, or I might say a perfect voting method? I would say there's no perfect voting method. But what we have determined is that the voting system, which most accurately reflects the views of the voters, is something called the board account. And amusingly, the board account reflects exactly what they do in the school system, your four-point grading system. In your four-point grading system, you give four points to an A, three points to a B, etc. down the line. The board system is that if you have five candidates, you give four points to the first place alternative when you're counting the ballots, three, two, one, zero. In a situation where you have three candidates, you give two points to your first place candidate, one to your second, and zero to your third. And it is, in other words, there is a constant difference between successive ranks. And it is uh, this method, which, uh, due to something called the algebraic orbits and you know things like this, uh, that shows that it has the least number of uh, inconsistencies, it maximizes the consistency with the voters' preferences. This voting that you study is one example of uh, math, you might say, creeping into the social sciences, which obviously from your title you're very much involved in. Almost surely. What happens is we have had a couple of millennia of a beautiful, fruitful, exciting symbiotic relations between the physical sciences and mathematics, where advances in one area have led to advances in the other. And it is because of this fruitful interaction, while we've had so many positive, positive advances over the last couple of millennia, the physical, I mean the social and behavioral sciences now, are becoming mathematically more mature in the last half century. Uh, they're expressing a lot of their concerns in terms of mathematical ideas. Uh, the reason is very clear. Mathematics is the only tool that we have so far that allows us to transcend our experience. Uh, you know, normally we would say, uh, go through a thought experiment and say, well, you do this, uh, if this happens, that happens, if this happens, that happens. Well, you know, it's like looking at a chess game. You can only go so far down. Using the muscle power of mathematics, the mathematics does a lot of those extra steps for you and allows you to really jump and get conclusions that would be impossible otherwise. That's why the social and behavioral sciences are becoming more mature in these areas, because they're recognizing this as a powerful tool. Once they do this, it is now an opportunity for mathematicians to step in and uh, work with these people, because there's a lot of issues of a kind that do not arise in the physical sciences, which means that there's a lot of opportunities for new mathematics. And so I really believe that right now is the beginning of an opportunity for the development of another symbiotic relationship between the social and behavioral sciences with mathematics. It'll help both areas. Exciting time. And actually, voting is just one special case of it. As you said, Mike, uh, you know, that I'm uh, involved in it. Yes, I uh, worked uh, 
for a long time on the physical sciences, uh, mathematics of that, and the evolution of the universe, issues of this kind. Then I discovered the social and behavioral sciences, and now I'm almost full-time in that. Voting is just one special case. I, I read on your website that a lot of your biography, but believe it or not, you, you made a lot of mathematical progress by getting detention. Now, how, how did that work? Oh, did I ever. Well, you see, Mike, what happened is I like people. I always like people. And so all the way through high school and everywhere else, I would be always talking with people. Unfortunately, it would be often in class. <laughs> and so I think I had more than my share of detentions. The teacher in charge, Bill Brotherton, who was in charge of detentions, was uh, a math teacher. And whenever he heard, there comes Don again with another detention, he would come armed with math books. And the two of us, for my detention period, we would just be going through all kinds. I was essentially getting uh, a private uh, advanced course in, uh, in mathematics. And uh, it just you know, sparked my interest, and it played an important role in my career, having my career in this direction. So, so then, would you invite uh, youngsters growing up to go out of their way to get detention? Oh, absolutely. If the detention teacher is a mathematician. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's Don Sari, uh, who's at the University of California, Irvine, a distinguished professor of mathematics and economics, and also the director of the Institute for Mathematical Behavioral Sciences. Thank you very much, Don. Thank you.